Hey there, listeners. Welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who aren't quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Ashvin. I'm on the phone with Brian. And this week, we're going to be talking about the 1996 horror film Scream, directed by Wes Craven, written by Kevin Williamson, and starring Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, and David Arquette. This movie follows a group of teenagers who become the targets of a masked killer. Um, Brian, I chose this one because we have a member in our uh, Discord who goes by Ghostface Sydney Killer or Ghost Killer Sydney Face. <laughs> <laughs> What's that yeah, name? something like that. Yeah, yeah. Ever since he joined, like uh, I, I feel like he's got this movie on on our minds. Yeah, yeah. I've, I think I've heard it. other people have mentioned too that we haven't done Scream yet. Oh so yeah, it's also it, been it's good. Yeah, yeah. I figured it's time we we got to it. There's um, definitely like some. Uh, some classics that you know our fingers always like right next to but we never quite click on yeah yeah like kind of like household names that we kind of just kind of forget about yeah yeah well it's like you know you'll we'll cover them at some point but yeah 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 seems like the right time yeah it does and uh i think you watched this one recently right like in the last year before this uh before this podcast obviously yeah, I think in our top five favorites episode that I can't remember when we did that, maybe for our two year anniversary, I uh, I rewatched this because I thought it might have been a contender. Uh, and it wasn't. It didn't make the top five. No. Okay, honorable mention though. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. I mean, for me, uh, I, I think I, I watched this a few weeks ago, but it was the first time I was seeing it since like I don't know, like two thousand or something. Like it definitely been a while. Uh, had, it, wow, had it been a okay. while for you before this year? Um, I feel like I watch it every few years. Oh, really? That's that's awesome. Yeah, like like you seek it out, or it's just on TV or something. It just kind of happens. Um, I think the last time I'd seen it before my top five rewatch was because it came up in a conversation with some friends and my wife a few years ago, and she hates horror movies, but these friends were like, "Oh, you could definitely handle Scream." Yeah, and so that like emboldened me, and I showed her Scream. But uh, she and could not handle Scream. <laughs> that's so interesting. Yeah, you know, I was wondering. So, I mean, obviously, this movie's a slasher. Um, do you, but, but, like, you feel like it lays on the horror, like, pretty thick. Like, is it a very scary movie, you think? That's an interesting question because in my mind's eye, it's like a fun 90s horror comedy type slasher with lovable characters. But yeah. um, it's intense, too. I, that opening scene, especially. I mean, we'll, we'll talk all about that. But yeah. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I remember like watching this as a kid, like thinking it was like a straight up scary film and being pretty spooked by it. Yeah, but I, I feel like watching it again now, it feels more of like a comedy and like making fun of other horror films uh, and like less scariness. But is that kind of what you got as well? Uh, I got a little bit of both. Oh, okay, still a balance. Yeah, yeah. I, did you? Uh, I saw this in the theater. How about you? You know, how did you see it in the theater? Because we would have been like in sixth grade. Uh, or something like we definitely would have been like 15 or under right yeah I was 13 I think what had happened was there was I think maybe there was a guy or a specific theater that didn't really care or maybe a guy who worked there that we knew didn't care so we would like (laughs) see or sometimes we would just buy a ticket to a PG movie and then sneak in yeah yeah nice Um, but I think oftentimes too my parents would just buy the ticket for me and, and they wouldn't care Oh, man, you're lucky. You know, there were some movies they did care about, but I think once I reached a certain age, they eased up. And, um, like, horror movies and violence, they didn't seem to care about as much. Oh, okay, okay. (laughs) Like, I I couldn't go see Basic Instinct in the theater or anything like that. 
Yeah, I mean, that's funny, because I think this movie actually inspired, like, a lot of kids to kill people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, purportedly. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's funny how culturally, like, yeah, I think there was more sensitivity around, like, nudity and stuff, especially back in the 90s, whereas maybe, like, scary movies and, like, action films weren't, like, as taboo, I guess. Yeah, I always think that's a little odd, like, the the nudity versus violence. I, I feel like once my kids get a little older, I will be more uh, hesitant about violence and less about sex, but I'm not sure. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah, right. I kind of feel the, the same way. Uh, when, it is weird, though. I mean, it, we have, like, a, this weird, unique American, you know, lack of tolerance for anything slightly sexual, but... yeah bring on the violence <laughs> yeah i know that is that's really strange part about our society yeah uh but speaking about the first time you saw this in theaters like do you remember like i feel like this is a film that a lot of people remember the first time they see it in their relationship with it like what, what do you what do you recall about this film and how it's shaped your life like loving it yeah and getting it even though i didn't really hadn't seen that many horror movies um, yeah like getting the references like, to a certain i mean i didn't catch all the references but like it kind of teaches you what it's referencing as well right Right. like randy spells enough stuff out that you can kind of be in on the joke yeah it it does do a really good job of that because i I could see it easily being like off-putting like i haven't seen enough horror movies to understand all this but i I think it brings audience along uh enough to like educate them to let you know like oh you can make fun of this stuff about scary movies pretty easily right right and that probably helped in some of its mass appeal too yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, I also feel like it, you know it was like one of the first like cool horror films. Like like uh, until this point, horror films like to me were more just like really scary things. But this was the first time it was actually like really kind of cool and like seeing all these like uh, uh, people in like you know great outfits and like high schoolers that like you kind of aspire to be like. Uh, I I don't, I don't remember like feeling that way before in a horror film. Yeah, I mean, I gotta wonder if the I. Th- feel like kids in the 80s probably felt that way about some of the characters in like a nightmare on elm street maybe oh those guys were pretty um, cool back then stuff like that yeah, <laughs> yeah i mean <laughs> kevin bacon was pretty cool in friday the 13th right uh yeah sure and like johnny depp in nightmare on elm yeah street. yeah <laughs> yeah that's um, true but but yeah this was right in the middle of like a a teen 90s boom of like you know watching cool attractive 25 to 30 year olds play teenagers and <laughs> Yeah, that part struck me that throughout the whole movie, like none of these guys look like high schoolers. They all look like adults. <laughs> I mean, did, did, does that jump out to you? You know, I would argue that they do a little bit more than some other. There are some eighty slashers where it's just clearly like thirty-five year old people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's it varies from movie to movie. Then there's like what was it Friday the Thirteenth Part Two that had like. A 17-year-old who was topless in it. Oh, wow, yeah. And, like, Halloween, too, maybe, at some point? Or Texas... Yeah, so one of those, you're right, yeah. Also had something sketchy. Yeah, that's true. Both ends of the spectrum. But I think this one was unique for a slasher in that it had a very recognizable cast, people that were already in media that the audience was familiar with. Sure, like big names. Yeah, 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 like your Courtney Cox from Friends and uh, Nev Campbell from Party of Five, etc. Right, right. Yeah, that uh, that that's that's that really cool to see. Um, and uh, I guess like slashers at this point had kind of gone pretty downhill. They were just coming out on like video on demand, like not even making it out to theaters. It was mostly franchises that were kind of getting stale. So I think this one had a big impact on on slashers in general. 
Yeah, it often gets credited with revitalizing horror in general in the 90s, um, yeah. and slashers especially. And I think there's been some reflection in the horror community nowadays where they kind of feel have mixed feelings about calling it that because it overlooks the fact that there were some really good and classic horror movies in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, I still I think it's fair to say a 90s the 90s was like a weaker period if you're really comparing everything but um yeah I I think people get a little concerned that you're sweeping a good chunk of 90s classics under the rug with a statement like that yeah, yeah. I, I kind of thought it was more specific to like the slasher category going down. Because, um, yeah, you're right. There were other like great horror films happening in the 90s, like like Candyman and uh, you know Blair Witch and all that stuff. Silence right, of the Lambs. Right, yeah. And I yeah. mean, Candyman was a slasher. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I guess you're right, actually. Interesting. But I mean, I do think the slasher trend was just, hey, let's try to like crank out a few more sequels to Freddy, Jason, and Halloween and make some more money off these and they were getting worse and the box office was getting lower. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And even Wes Craven was thinking about retiring horror until, uh, this one came along. It sounds like. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Thank, thank God for that. Uh, I, I think this is like the highest grossing slasher. Like if you adjust dollars to present day that, uh, has ever been made. Is that what you read too? Yeah, I read the same thing. I read Halloween 2018 beat it, um, but if you adjust for inflation, then Scream is still on top. Yeah, it was, was got to adjust, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's uh, yeah, that, that, that's pretty cool. I mean, it's not surprising, I guess. Like This feels like one of the biggest slashers of our generation, at least. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And it's interesting, too. I mean, we this movie came out at the perfect time for us, so it's interesting how later generations or older generations may feel about what we consider a classic yeah i know it's it's like yeah there's like a time of life like you know our our middle school days going into high school like this film blair witch and like the ring like these certain films that like hit you at a certain time of life and that really uh yeah are you know gonna leave impressions for that generation yeah yeah like it's interesting to think of a you know mid-40s horror fan walking out of scream and being like yeah yeah (laughs) <laughs> maybe, maybe I mean you know I'm yeah. generalizing I don't know I, I don't really know what uh, or if I can even generalize that much but yeah. just curious what it was like from someone else's perspective yeah I would love to hear that like an older person and a young person if, if like this movie has like as much weight as like you and I think it does yeah yep um, but the, the twist in this film like is is that pretty unique because I, I still I'm not sure if I've seen a movie outside of this franchise do a similar twist and we'll talk about it later but had you have you seen that emulated anywhere else? Um, like the whole like who done it thing in a mystery. Yeah, and then like how uh, and like who like yeah, just the formula of like how who it was. Yeah, I mean the well, hey everybody, we're gonna spoil this movie, and I think we'll probably just do it right now. <laughs> All right. Um, are you talking about specifically two killers or just yeah, <laughs> two yeah. killers? <laughs> I think that is a cool idea, and um you know, gives you some room to play with the whodunit even more. Cause you're like, well, it couldn't have been Billy. Cause he came in through the window like a second yeah. afterwards. But exactly. If there's two, that explains a lot. Yeah. Right. So yeah, I think that's a cool idea. I, um, I don't, I haven't seen any before this that had two killers that I can think of, but I'm, you know, yeah, same. It's not to saying that, not to say there hasn't been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I was trying to find out. Like, if, is this the first movie that pulled that? But I can't imagine. Like, you'd have so many years of movies, and this is the first time someone figured that out. Right. Right. But maybe I don't know. 
Um, yeah, so interesting uh, background about Wes Craven. You know, at first, uh, sounds like he was about to leave horror and he wasn't coming on to the project. And then Drew Barrymore signed on and that got him in. And then Drew Barrymore was supposed to be the lead, but then she backed out and uh, just played that cameo. Um, uh, so yeah, kind of, kind of interesting story about how it came about. So any, anything else in the background story of it that you found interesting? Um, I'm trying to think. Kevin Williamson was a huge fan of horror movies, especially Halloween, which is obvious if you watch or rewatch this movie. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's definitely references to various movies, but they really lean into Halloween hard. Yeah. Yeah, sure. And this was Marco Beltrami's first feature film score. Yeah. Does the score jump out to you watching it? It did this time, man. I had never really considered it before. It's interesting to me because a score, a really great score can really stand out in a movie, but a really great score can also blend in. Yeah, right. Like, I don't know. I find sometimes when I'm watching these movies and then thinking about my review afterwards, I'm like, oh, I didn't even pay attention to this aspect. Yeah. Maybe it's the acting. Well, the acting, I always do. But the cinematography, the music. And usually if I didn't pay attention to it, like, it was good. Mm-hmm. Right. Because right? it just, yeah. like, puts you in the world of the movie and then you're in it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's what has typically happened to me during viewings of Scream uh, until just this recent time. But it's oh. a great score. It really, really yeah. works. It, it does. Yeah, yeah. I, I had to go back and listen to it because I, I, it didn't jump out to me while I was watching it. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great score. I like it. Yeah, I don't notice many, and maybe if I went back and looked for it again, I would notice them, but like recurring motifs and themes I don't notice as much. Um, Yeah. I think of it as a bit more like audio stings with the stringed instruments and stuff like that. Right. Yeah, a little more atmospheric and stuff. Yeah, but but it's effective. It is. It works really well uh, in the context here. Yeah, and uh, effects were done by KNB. EFX group. <laughs> I saw that and I thought of you because I yeah. always had to mention that. <laughs> Brian's going to love this. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, we'd be remiss to mention that there, if we didn't mention that Scream 5 is currently filming. Oh, you know, I missed that actually. Yeah. Courtney Cox, Nev Campbell, and David Arquette will all reprise their roles. And it's directed by the dudes that did Ready or Not. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, did, did Wes Craven direct uh, all four of the prior ones? He directed all four, and Kevin Williamson wrote one, two, and four. Okay, cool. Yeah, he that's will awesome. not be writing the fifth one, but I think he's producing. Okay, wow, that, that's exciting. Uh, is that pegged for, like, next year? Um, I can't remember if it's 2021 or 20... I think it is 2021. Okay, cool. And Kevin Williamson, this was his first feature-length screenplay, I believe, but that, this, like... His career took off after this. He did I Know What You Did Last Summer, The Faculty. Yeah. Dawson's. He created Dawson's Creek and The Vampire Diaries and wrote a whole bunch of those episodes. Yeah, yeah. that's Yeah, it sounds like his background was TV before he came to this one. I didn't even think he had done much of anything before this one, but I might just oh. be... Um, no, because Dawson's Creek would have started before this, right? I assumed so, but I, yeah, I forget. Yeah, um, you're probably right. Okay. It does kind of like blend all those elements really nicely into yeah. this movie. Do you have uh, an Ohio connection for us? And I'm guessing it's not the Wes Craven one that we're used to. <laughs> no, Putin can't do it that easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, before I hit the Ohio connection, I want to remind people of some guest appearances we've had on other shows in case you missed those or are a new listener. Um, we were guests 
boy, some of these were months back, so just look through their libraries for these episodes. But we guested on Movies in 4K, and we discussed the 2020 release VFW. And that's a spoiler-free episode, so go check that out. And go check out Movies in 4K. Uh, Bill Shetty and Lady Phantom do a great job over there. And check out their other show, Horror Movie Weekly. Um, we guested on Lights, Camera, No for two episodes, one on The Faculty and one on Final Destination. And I guested on a podcast called Ohio Mysteries, which is a true crime podcast. And that was, boy, probably like a year or two ago. <laughs> and I believe that episode was called The Berlin Reservoir or Berlin Lake. So you can go check that out, too, if you are looking for more Brian and or Ashvin. <laughs> yeah, great podcast. Yeah. Or if you're not looking for us and you think we suck, then just go check out those podcasts <laughs> yeah. instead. And totally. avoid the ones we guested on. <laughs> All right, so as Ashvin said, we have our friend Alex connect every movie we see to our hometown in, well, our home state of Ohio. Alex owns the Jukebox Bar and Restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio. You can pick up beer, wine, food in your car or have it delivered on Grubhub or go hang out at their socially distanced patio. And Alex says, to find an Ohio connection for Scream, you don't have to look far. Director Wes Craven was born in Cleveland. Actress Rose McGowan was famously engaged to Canton-born musician Marilyn Manson from 1999 to 2001. Uh. And even Scream heads will remember that the follow-up film Scream 2 took place at fictitious Windsor College located in Ohio. That said, I chose to dig a little deeper. The mystery killer (laughs) in the film is Ghostface, known for his long, slender ghost mask and famously wielding a large hunting knife. This knife is known as a Buck 120, a style and class of Bowie knife. The original Bowie knife was crafted by knife maker James Blake, designed for and by frontiersman Jim Bowie. And in 1835, James Black was nearly blinded during an overnight attack, which forced him to leave his home in Arkansas to receive restorative eye treatment in Cincinnati, Ohio. (laughs) <laughs> oh, oh my, my god uh wait sorry this is the guy uh who the knife was made for the guy who designed the knife oh okay he got eye surgery in cincinnati <laughs> <laughs> Come on. uh but yeah he managed to hit three ohio connections before he got to that even oh by the wow. way i forgot to ask you have you seen the other screams uh yeah yeah i think i've seen them all yeah have you okay I cannot remember for the life of me if I've seen Scream 3. I saw Scream 2 in the theater. I remember that, but I cannot remember Scream 3. Yeah, uh, they, I, they kind of blend together for me. But you've yeah, seen Scream 4? I have 4? a feeling I'd turn on Scream 3 and be like, oh, I've seen this. Yeah, yeah, right. I'd like, hit you right away. Uh, yeah, I remember, I, like, I, I think when Scream 4 came out, we did like a marathon and watched all three or four of them. Uh, nice. Oh, so I would have seen Scream, I guess, but, like 10 years ago or something. But yeah. Uh, cool. Yeah, hopefully we can get to the other ones, too, on this podcast. That'd be good. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it weird that you just thought 10 years ago wasn't that long ago? Yeah, I know. <laughs> that is really weird. That, that's how old we are now. <laughs> yeah. It's in the decades. Uh, all right, cool. Well, anything else before we jump to the plots, uh, our review, and we'll hit some spoilers? Yep. Yeah, let's do it. All right, cool. Uh, do you mind if uh, I take a quick break? I'm getting a call on the landline. Just want to check it really quick. Yeah, sure. All right, cool. I'll be right back. Hey, man. Sorry about that. I'm back. 
Yeah, everything okay on the landline? Uh, you know, I, I got a call and like it was blocked on my caller ID. Um, it was a weird voice and they just asked me if I like scary movies. So I told them all about our podcast and I tried to get them to listen to like uh, one, one of our episodes, but three minutes in, they, they hung up. I guess there are just way too many inaccuracies or something. <laughs> I think we offended them. There's going to be a new one-star review that just says, on my way to kill these dudes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I guess we'll know who did it then. <laughs> just find that guy. Oh, man, that, that'd be a great, that should be the opening for the next uh, Scream film. On my way to kill these dudes, a podcast review? Yeah, You yeah. basically just wrote the opening? I think so. <laughs> Scream <Yeah>. 5. <laughs> I'm sure they'll switch things up and do some reshoots. I think so. I think they'll be inspired by this conversation. Yeah. For sure. I'm Most sure they'll are. listen to this conversation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're taking notes. Uh, all right. Yeah. Let, let's start here then, I guess, with the, with the opening. And uh, you know, I think as you mentioned earlier, this is like a pretty famous opening and... Um, uh, yeah, just just uh, it really sticks in a lot of people's minds. But uh, the movie opens with Drew Barrymore. Uh, she's at home alone. She's making popcorn, getting ready to watch this horror film. And her phone rings, and we hear this voice uh, that's kind of distorted asking her uh, for someone, but uh, it's the wrong number. But this person keeps calling back, and at first they're kind of flirting on the phone a bit. There's like a little bit of like fun back and forth. Uh, but then he kind of starts threatening her once she keeps hanging up on him. And uh, he reveals that he's got her boyfriend tied up in the back patio. And the only way she can save him is by answering some horror trivia questions about films. So uh, she gets the first few rights, but then she messes it up when uh, he asks her who the villain in the first Friday the 13th was. Which, honestly, I, I think when I, the first time I saw this, I would have gotten that wrong. I mean, did, did, did you know that answer? No, honestly, the only other slasher I'd probably seen at this point was Halloween and Candyman, maybe. Oh, really? Okay. But you knew of, like, Jason, though, right? I did. I was aware, but I hadn't seen a single movie. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I probably Of the Friday the 13th franchise. Yeah, yeah. I was probably in the same boat as you. So, uh, yeah, 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 I would have gotten this wrong. Uh, so then we see uh, her boyfriend get cut up and, like, his... In, uh, I think his stomach, like, falls out, right? <laughs> yeah, all his guts fall out. Yeah, that's pretty gross. Uh, someone breaks into the house, and we see this masked... <laughs> Uh, for some reason to me it's just hilarious that you said his stomach falls out (laughs) (laughs) every other organ stays in place and his stomach just just, pops right out a ball of a stomach (laughs) 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 hold on to your stomach man (laughs) I I saw his stomach in his hands it's pretty gross sorry Uh, yeah so so we see the the master villain uh, with the ghost face uh, ghost face killer come in uh, walking around uh, her house she's in the backyard she sees her parents driving up she tries to run out to them but the killer catches up with her and stabs her to death her parents come in the house is on fire and they pick up the phone and they hear her daughter getting slaughtered uh, and when they walk into the yard they see her tied up uh, to a tree and I think she's pretty cut up right yeah, she's hanging from a tree by her neck with her, her insides are hanging out, too. Did you see her stomach hanging out, too? Or? <laughs> her, her, her stomach alone. Her stomach. Her stomach Everything just, else is perfectly in place, and yeah. her stomach's hanging from her shoelace. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, so what did you think of this opening? I just think this opening is like a clinic in filmmaking and suspense. Like It's just so perfect. Yeah, yeah. It's not unlike the opening to so many slashers with a hook with a character who is 
you know, killed off that is not necessarily central to the story and that the main characters don't really know her that well. But man, they just do everything right and they do things, a few things differently too that just really add to it. Yeah. Um, you've got like the like, it checks the boxes of shot from outside the house so you know right. someone might be out there. Like a shot inside the house that in, you know hangs on the windows so you think somebody might be coming in through the windows. Yeah. Um, but then you kind of let your guard down and are lulled into their conversation because it's kind of charming and yeah. Drew Barrymore is a familiar face and she's likable and it gets kind of flirty. Right, yeah. Um, and then he asks for her name and she's like, why do you want to know my name? And he says, because I want to know who I'm looking at. And then that's the first time the score comes in. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's just like everything then just shifts. Right, yeah. Yeah, I feel like it, it like switches gears so quickly, like from this like kind of lighthearted, uh, like back and forth to suddenly like the scary film kicks in. Yeah, yeah, and a really great performance here by Drew Barrymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think what really, I mean, there are so many things that make this scene awesome, but what really sets it out, sets it apart for me compared to other slashers, is that in any other slasher, she'd be dead, and that would be the end. But mm-hmm. the parents come home. It's just like tragic and even more suspenseful because her parents are just out of reach. She's like, we see her in the background. They're all in the same frame, but they don't know she's there. And they're reacting to what's going on in the house. They're in shock. They hear her dying on the phone. Like the music, the score becomes really sad at this point. It's no longer suspenseful. Right. Um, So I just thought it really hit hard. Like, yeah. I'm a little embarrassed to say I got kind of teary-eyed when the mom was just like, my daughter, my daughter. <laughs> yeah, I was like, that, oh my God, this is fucking intense. I know, that that hit me really hard this time too. Like, that that is devastating that uh, she's like listening to her daughter get murdered. Yeah. That's so crazy. Yeah, and this, this is a stupid little touch, but the popcorn on the stove, like catching on fire, it just added more, it was kind of like a temperature on the scene itself, you know? Like, yeah as things get more tense the popcorn's getting more and more out of yeah. hand and you're just it's like one little other thing where you're like well please just take the popcorn off this stove <laughs> yeah no it's a great device it adds to like the, the 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 tension building up there and then like the yeah. whole house like being on fire yeah i i um i started reading the this scene the script of this scene and i noticed that in the script the pop she took the popcorn off the stove at one point and it it just stopped oh really so yeah, I don't know. It's <laughs> small little weird fun oh. fact, but at some point in production, they must have realized, no, let's let this popcorn burn. Oh, I thought, yeah, actually, now that you say that, they, there isn't a part where she pulls it off. Like, once it, like, catches on fire, she doesn't, like, pick it off and, like, take it off the burner. You know what? Maybe you're right. Maybe she takes it off and puts it in the sink or something? Yeah. Or am I yeah, thinking I f- of another movie? Uh, I forget. I feel like she goes back to the stove at some point, sees the popcorns on fire, uh, I, I forget, though. I mean, yeah, that's, that's just such a whirlwind scene. Yeah. It's kind of hard to remember. Yeah, I know that there's there. still some fire happening when the parents walk in, right? Yeah, yeah. I feel like a curtain right. or something's on fire. Sorry, I've gotten us derailed on this one tiny little thing. I mean, it's, yeah, but it's such like a, it's such a like powerful opening. And, and yeah, it's hard for me to think of like another film that opens like it, it was so powerfully. Yeah. Uh, there aren't too many contenders there. Yeah, uh, and I mean, it lets you know like all of the emotions and everything this this movie will be like lovable kind of funny suspenseful intense gory kind of sad tragic like yeah everything is packaged (laughs) yeah 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 exactly 
Also, at this point, the husband goes and tells the mom to call, go to the Mackenzie's house, and I'm pretty sure that's the house that uh, Lori <laughs> tells the kids to run to on Halloween. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. That's yeah. a that's a good tie there. Yep. Uh, and Halloween, I think, was one of the trivia questions, right? Yeah, it sure was. And then okay. I think after this, they cut to a scene of uh, Nev Campbell in her bedroom, and they play a cover of Don't Fear the Reaper, which was also featured prominently in Halloween. Yeah, and I, I like this cover. It's like an acoustic version of that song. which I, I am really so cool. over like touching acoustic covers of classic songs, but this one <laughs> was, was good, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I appreciated this one. I thought it was well uh, placed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is, so, so after this murder, this crazy opening scene, which uh, Brian and I obviously are crazy about, uh, we meet Nev Campbell. She's in her room at night. Um, she uh, is this character named Sydney, and uh, she's in high school. Um, she has a boyfriend named Billy Loomis who pops into her window. Uh, we find out that there's some tension because they haven't had sex yet. She wants to keep things PG-13. Um, her father also pops in and lets her know that he's headed out of town. So it kind of sets the stage um, for the next few days. Uh, the next day, the high school is kind of buzzing with this news of one of the students being murdered. Um, that night when Sydney gets home, she gets a call on the phone from the killer who taunts her and tells her that he's watching her. Um, they also kind of have a little bit of back and forth, but she's not really getting into it. He's uh, a lot of scary movie trivia going on again. Um, but yeah, he, uh, he says, I'm watching you. Uh, and she like tries to confront him by like walking out onto the porch. She doesn't see anyone. Comes back in, but then the killer pops out of a closet, I think. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Uh, but she escapes by running up the stairs to her room, which I think she was just making fun of people in movies who do that, right? Who yeah. run upstairs. Yeah. Yeah, she was on the phone with him and saying it's insulting that the final girl always runs upstairs when she should be running out the front door. But yeah. the front door was blocked, I guess. locked in such a way that she couldn't get it yeah. in time so yeah we didn't even mention so far that the meta-ness of this movie and how it kind of started a trend of of meta horror oh yeah totally yeah 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 like i think throughout this whole movie they're just kind of making fun of and being like really self-aware about uh horror film tropes sure and then kind of playing to them too yeah uh so yeah she runs upstairs and you gotta explain this to me because she goes to her room locks the door the killer's out there and somehow she calls 911 on her dial-up modem uh, how did, did you understand this program or how that worked? Hmm. Well. Cause it, it was like a text box or something, right? On a computer. Yeah. So, I mean, the phone line wouldn't have been tied up anymore, would it have? Um, no, I guess not. Yeah. So the phone line would have been open, but what was this like AOL instant messenger or something? Yeah. Or? I mean, this was some old program where it allowed you to use the phone on your computer. It was a program. The description at the top of the screen said it was for deaf people. Hmm. Okay. So you could call a number, like type type in stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Why cool. she would have had that app, um, I don't know. But. <laughs> on her, yeah, on her computer. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like modern day texting, but like an old yeah. school version. <laughs> uh, so she uh, she pings the police on her uh, computer on her desktop, uh, but before they come, her boyfriend again pops into her window again. And hugs her, and she's like, "There's a killer outside," but a phone, a mobile phone, pops out of Billy's pocket, and she becomes very suspicious of him. And the police beca- arrest him. And there's like a line where, like, "Why, why did you have a phone on you or something?" Uh, I thought it was kind of funny, like telling of the times where like people didn't traditionally have phones on them. Yeah, he's like, "Everyone's got one these days, Sheriff." 
<laughs> yeah, that's that's a good one. Another Halloween homage in that his last name is Loomis. Oh, yeah, right, exactly. Um, so Billy gets arrested. Uh, he's in prison. She goes to her friend's house, uh, her friend Tatum, who's played by Rose McGowan. Uh, but that night she gets another call and realizes that Billy isn't the guy uh, because Billy's in jail. So uh, we also get some backstory here when Sydney's at the police station that's a year before her mother was murdered and uh, she helped convict the killer. But after that happened, there's been this reporter named Gail Weathers, played by Courtney Cox, who's been uh, convinced that Sydney pegged the wrong guy a year ago. And now she's shown back up. Uh, she's back uh, now investigating this uh, series of murders. So there's a lot of hostility there. What, do you, what did you think of like Courtney Cox uh, as Gail Weathers? I thought she did great with the character, and I think it's a really interesting character, too, because she's not likable at all, Yeah, but she's got a good point with this Cotton Weary theory, and she might be onto something, and you can tell, like, Sid really doesn't want to believe it, but she kind of lets it eat away at her that Gail Weathers might be right about it. Oh, you think, like, Sydney's like, open to the idea early on? Um... I think that there's some part of her that is plagued by the possibility that it wasn't him. Huh. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, so I think Gail, in a way, like she's a great character in her own right, but she is also a way to give uh, Sydney's character more depth and make her more complex. Sure, yeah. Question a little bit more of uh, what's happened and like reflect on the past a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I liked uh, that aspect there. Um, so the next day at school, um, Sydney goes back. There's an awkward confrontation when her boyfriend comes there since she, uh, accused him of being a killer. But, uh, in the bathroom, she gets attacked, which I thought that was kind of random that the killer would show up, uh, to the school. But, uh, did, did that strike you as odd? Yeah, it's a little odd. Um, and then she doesn't really tell anybody about it either. Yeah, right. That scene isn't really like resolved or anything. Yeah, um, Kevin Williamson wanted to cut that scene out, but Wes Craven convinced him to leave it in because it gave some more background as to how Sid what Sydney's relationship was like with her mom. Um, Because Sydney overhears, she's in the stall and she overhears two girls at the sink talking about how her mom was a slut. Yeah, yeah, and something their words, not mine. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and so something she's in denial of, uh, obviously. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, they, 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 while she's trying to escape, get out of the bathroom, she gets attacked, but she, she escapes. Uh, and then, uh, I think the school gets canceled. Um, but, uh, the, the principal who's hanging out, he's played by the Fonz. Uh, that guy, uh, he gets killed. There's also, uh, a janitor named, uh, Freddie, right? He's like dressed up in, uh, Freddy Krueger outfit. Yeah. Yeah. Played by Wes Craven. What? I didn't realize it was Wes Craven, really? Yeah. Oh. Wow, that makes sense. Uh, so, yeah, nice cameo thrown in there. Yeah, there's also a random cameo from uh, Linda Blair, who was Reagan in The Exorcist. She's a reporter at one point. Oh, in in this one? Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. That's awesome. Um, yeah, so then that night there's this high school party because like there's this curfew going on, and so high schoolers just have to party. Uh, at this party, her friend Tatum goes into the garage to get some beers, uh, runs into the mass killer, thinks it's her boyfriend, but then ends up uh, being attacked, and she gets killed trying to escape out of a garage door. Uh, what are those little trap doors called on, on a garage door? Yeah, the little doggy door type thing. 
Yeah, yeah. But uh, I, yeah, she gets she gets stuck in that, and the killer uh, raises the garage, which kills her. I, I like that kill a lot. It, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a fun one. And I want to ask you, because, you know, now we've seen, like, the killer in action a few times. Uh, and I thought this scene, in the future scenes, too, we'll see this. But there's, like, a clumsiness with this killer. Did, did you notice that? Yeah, there is. He gets thwarted a lot. Thwarted? <laughs> he, like, trips and falls a lot, right? <laughs> <laughs> he makes, like, a dope sound. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Banana peels everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's that's kind of new in a in a film, right? I, like I, I don't I, I don't know what to draw like to tie that back to. Yeah, I'm trying to like go back in my mind to slashers before this, and um, I can't think of many where the killer is so easily um, <laughs> yeah. thwarted. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. either like this weird invincible semi supernatural type thing, or is somebody who you never even see their full person a lot of the time right yeah um, yeah in other slashers i've seen but uh, granted I've, I've still got plenty of slashers to go back and watch from 80s and early 90s but yeah sure. it is a little unique yeah yeah i mean it works it gives like at the moments or the kills like a little bit of levity but uh, yeah yeah for also, sure that's interesting yeah and still like actually even makes more suspense uh, you know i've complained in previous podcasts that in the Friday the 13th movies especially, a character just walks onto a scene, you know Jason's in there, and then out he comes and kills them. Yeah, sure. This allows for a bit more of a back and forth, good news, bad news, like, okay, she <laughs> hit him with the beer bottle, but shoot, he's, yeah. he's still coming. Or, okay, he's really hurt, so she had time to get away. Yeah, yeah. Gives, it adds gives it more suspense, of, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, it makes it more of like, a, each attack becomes kind of like a roller coaster of it. Uh, right. Yeah, and you, you feel optimistic a little bit, and then, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't think there's a single attack in this movie where someone just gets it without any sort of suspense or uh, uniqueness mm-hmm. or cat and mouse game to it. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, that makes a lot of fun. Um, so, uh, the, yeah, this friend is killed. Um, people leave the party and there are just a few people left. The boyfriend, Billy, shows up and her, him and Sydney make up. Uh, they have sex for the first time. Uh, as soon as they finish, though, the killer comes in and stabs the boyfriend. We see him covered in blood. Uh, Sydney escapes and ends up jumping out of a window. She makes it to this news van that's parked outside of the party. And uh, they see on a video camera that the killer was in the house and ran outside. But the video is on like a 15-second delay, which means they're already too late. Which I, I loved that uh, that kind of like uh, device that they had there. That, like, What did you think of that? Like the plot device of the camera being on a 30 second delay? Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was super cool. Because he's yeah, like, yeah. he thinks he can go in there and save this kid or warn the kid. And then that, there's this moment where he realizes he's <laughs> oh, on shit. a delay and he doesn't know what the hell to do. And then, yeah. Yeah. That was, gets that was his throat a little smart. It was, yeah, genius. Yeah, yeah, good, good effect there. Yeah. Um, so Sydney's trying to escape in another vehicle, but the killer corners her in, in that car. So she runs back into the house where her boyfriend comes down the stairs, who we thought was dead. Uh, he kills one of uh, her remaining friends, or, or shoots him, at least, and then reveals that he's the killer, and it was him and his friend Stu that were the killers the whole time, so it's the whole double killer thing, which is why uh, she got a call while he was in jail, I guess. So he reveals that his motive was that Sydney's mom slept with his dad and caused his mother to leave, uh, which, I mean, do you feel like they're making fun of how bad some of these uh, motives can be? 
Um, hmm. Maybe. I think Kevin Williamson was on the fence about whether, or maybe it was just like the whole production in general was on the fence about whether there should be a motive or whether it's scarier without. And I think yeah. they settled on, well, Billy does have a motive, but Stu doesn't. So you sure. kind of get a two for one. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't right. know. I thought that motive was sufficient enough to not be poking <laughs> fun at other motives, but maybe it was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't tell if they were being serious or if they were just like uh, creating this like cra- crazy uh, motive, but yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's interesting how they split the difference there. Have one killer who doesn't like, who's just doing this because he's bored or something. The other one has like this like a uh, family motive, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Stu says his reason is peer pressure, but <laughs> kind of jokingly he says that. Yeah, yeah, right. So uh, these two killers have this whole plan. They're gonna con- uh, they're gonna blame this whole thing on Sydney's dad, who they've t- had tied up in the closet. Um, but to you know make the- make it sell, they have to cut each other up. So, so it looks like they got attacked, uh, and they end up like goring each other up pretty bad. And then Gil Weathers, the reporter, shows up and tries to shoot them, but she fails at that. But during all this commotion, Sydney escapes and ends up putting the mask on and turns the tables on them, gives them a call, uses the voice, and is able to attack and kill them. Uh, I think one gets killed, or I guess uh, her boyfriend first gets stabbed with an umbrella, and then he's shot a few times, and Stu gets like a TV on his head, I think. Is that right? Yeah, and I think that may have been an homage to a kill in Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors. Oh, okay. Because right before she does it, she says, in your dreams... Oh, Which, you know, Dream Warriors. Yeah. yeah, and Wes Craven did Dream Warriors. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, that's that's pretty good. Yeah, actually, you know what? No, uh, Wes Craven didn't do Dream Warriors. It's, I mean, oh. Wes Craven did the original Freddy, but but he right. did not. He did not oh, okay, do okay. Dream Warriors. Okay. And Kevin Williamson, I I kept thinking whenever they did a reference or mentioned a movie, I was like, oh yeah, because Wes Craven. But I was like, no, Kevin wrote the script, so he was the one doing all the referencing. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. That's a good reminder. Yeah, uh, yeah and um, I think, like, also at the party they're watching Halloween, maybe? Yeah, uh, I actually really like this here, too. Um, this is, like, the pinnacle of Halloween homages that they're watching it, and the score to Halloween serves as the score to Scream for a while, like, because oh. you hear Halloween in the background. And the John Carpenter score, you hear? It? Yeah, uh, like, the John like, Carpenter score works perfectly with what's happening in Scream as well. Uh, yeah, yeah. That that's a really cool scene because isn't he like yelling at uh at, at the character on the on the um on the screen? And yeah, it's like Yeah, Randy's yelling at uh Laurie that he's right he's right behind you and <laughs> Ghostface is right behind him. Yeah, right. Randy is so charming, especially here. He's like drunkenly talking to Yeah to uh Jamie Lee Curtis. Right, yeah, yeah. The character of, of Randy's great. And like there's there's a whole scene that we didn't talk about, like of him in the movie theater or in a movie store, uh a rental store, I guess, uh, spelling out like how horror movies work and like how it's obviously like the boyfriend or whatever. Right. And, uh, yeah, he's he's a pretty great character. He is. I mean there's not a bad character in this movie. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh so yeah, the movie ends with uh Sydney killing both of them and uh the sun coming up on the house and uh the police showing up. Um, anything else I missed there? Yeah, I think that's everything. So, oh, and her dad they had in the closet the whole time. Can't remember if you mentioned that. So, yeah, her so dad, he, her, and Gail and uh, Dewey and Randy end up surviving. Yeah, right, right. 
to, to, to go to the sequels. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, what, what do you think uh, worked about this film? What did you like? Any, any flaws in it you saw? I think one of the most important things for me is to echo on that first scene when you see the impact of Drew Barrymore dying, like you see her parents' reaction. Everything that happens in this, in some way at least, impacts the characters, whereas so many slashers, it's just a group of people dropping off and the other characters aren't even aware that yeah. anybody's dropping off. Um, yep. So nobody knew, at least they weren't like super close friends with Casey, the first character who dies, Drew Barrymore's character. Right. But the whole school is in a tizzy and the whole town is in a tizzy over it. Um, she's There's an empty desk, desk next to sydney and english class or whatever like it it doesn't happen off screen and never matter to anybody sure that builds suspense to me and it like creates character depth even the principal was which is a kill that they kind of forced in i think bob weinstein wanted that to be in because there was too long without a kill yeah they learned that news at the party and a bunch of like teenage boys go to see his body um but Randy is like more shaken by it. So every kill impacts everybody and there aren't even that sure. many kills, but it just cares a little bit more than a lot of slashers. It cares about its characters and it cares about creating a whole movie, like right. um, a well-rounded screenplay. And I, I just think that's part of what sets it aside. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I think, I think it like sidesteps a lot of those flaws that you see with the uh, traditional slashers too high of a body count characters you don't care about. Um, things happening like that are unrelated to each other. Uh, this this one does like address all of those really well. And and the body counts isn't really that high in this, is it? It's not. No. Like and it it's interesting because I always complain about slashers having too many characters. This has just as many, but you know all their names. You remember their names. Like, yeah. They have specific functions in the story. Right. It, they're not yeah. all just there at the party. You know, there's a bunch of people at the party, but. Yep. Two of the characters are killers. There's the main and the best friend. There's the guy who's basically there to explain horror movies. <laughs> yeah. There's the reporter. There's Dewey. Dewey is incredible and hilarious, too. Every one of them, just like, it's a good performance, and the character has enough uniqueness that it's just such a memorable character to so many people who love these movies. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Even one of the killers is like one of the most lovable horror movie characters of all time. Which one's uh, Stu or Billy? I think people really love Stu. Uh, why do people love Stu so much? Just because he's I like Stu. always. Hey, I why? think Just... Matthew Lillard is a pretty good guy, from what <laughs> I understand. Uh, that's the impression I get, and I think people just are into him and into the character of Stu. Oh, uh, okay, okay. I mean, he's pretty funny at the, especially the ending scene. Oh, uh, then he's yeah, he's pretty funny in that one because you right. kind of feel sorry for him, right? Yeah, he's like, "Did you really call the police? My mom and dad yeah. are going to be so mad at me." And, <laughs> yeah i remember like liking his character a lot the first time i saw this now when i see it it's he's kind of just like a spoiled asshole like like a brat that uh just like decided to kill people for fun and then at the end when things sour he's like can't like man up and like take it enough yeah but, for sure i mean he is despicable but lovable yeah. in his despicability in some way <laughs> yeah yeah but i, I think in the context of the film i, I think you're right he's, he's kind of likable like more yeah. so than uh the standoffish boyfriend i think Sure, sure. Yeah. Who uh, was pretty scrawny for everyone being so intimidated by. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know, both of the killers. And then uh, I guess none of them were actually the ones on the phone. Like, that was a whole different actor that was the one that was actually calling. 
Right, yeah. The voice we hear is a different actor. Yeah, yeah. I, I was struggled to highlight those two guys, so that voice, and then when I was reading about it this time, it made a lot of sense. Yeah, yep. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think everything you said, like, yeah, this is a really elevated slasher film that just has a lot of hearts. Any flaws you see with it? You know, it's hard when you've seen a movie so many times, but it feels like there's a lull in the middle. Hmm. I don't yeah. know if you felt that at all. They try to keep it lively. There's a scene in the bathroom and the principal gets killed, but they definitely felt like things that were there just to keep things interesting on purpose. And then yeah. reading about it after the fact, I was like, oh yeah, that's pretty much why they were there. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. It does kind of, the, the middle part drags a little bit. And uh, I only feel like it, I almost feel like it's a victim of that opening scene being so incredible. I know. How do you follow that up? Yeah, you can Like the only thing that ever comes close is the, just the whole third act at the house, I think is really cool. Um, right. The mechanics of it, that 30 second delay thing, like yeah, there's car crashes, there's Tatum in the garage, like yep. it's cool. It's a well done scene. It, yeah. it almost, uh, it comes, I still don't think anything in this movie compares to the opening scene, but you know, it's yeah. big enough that it can rival that. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the climax uh, is, is like you get everything. It's, it's a big payout. Very rewarding. Yeah. How about you? What flaws, since I think it's clear we both really love this movie, um, <laughs> to balance things out, what flaws do you see? Uh, you know, I, I thought that kill in the middle with the, with the principal was like kind of a random one. And a lot of the sequences that happen at school, like the attack in the bathroom, uh, those feel like a little bit out of place. But uh, I, it makes sense that it was like the producers wanting like some level of action in there because otherwise the, the middle does become kind of weird. There's also a strange part uh, where they're at a grocery store and you see Ghostface Killer in like aisle nine or something. Do you- yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> what the fuck is that? Yeah, that was weird because it's like nobody saw that. <laughs> like he was in yeah. full costume. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's a couple of other things like that where it's like they did this just so they could have this moment. They also, there's no reason really for them to not kill um, Sydney before mm-hmm. they kill themselves, right? Or before they stab themselves. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. They so she's just it. like there with the potential to escape while they're getting woozy and weak. Like, yeah. And yeah. at the point where they really couldn't have any physical control over her because they're bleeding. <laughs> so that well, made no sense. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. That's a good And point. then she, when she comes out of the closet and stabs Billy with the umbrella, she's in full costume, which I have no idea why she would bother <laughs> doing that, but it, it's a cool moment. Yeah, yeah. I I think things like that really add to, like, I really love Sydney as a character and, and just, like, the power she brings at the end uh, and throughout the whole film. Uh, like, I, I love how she's, like, turning the tables on them and like even like the first time she gets attacked, she kind of confronts the killer by like walking out onto the porch. So I, I think they like they really built that character out really well. Yeah, yeah, really. Um, it gives you the what you want that release you want with Kit, Sydney being out on top. Yeah, um, and I love that she calls and does the voice on the phone to them. And stuff. Yeah, yeah, I love that. That's that's so awesome. Yeah. Um, the oh the the other thing is uh, that that I kind of scratch my head on is like uh, you know to your point yeah they could have killed her before that they also they could have just killed her on that first night where they attacked her in her house because the the boyfriend sneaks up through a window and like uh, hugs her so it's almost like they weren't trying to kill her earlier on they were just trying to spook her and then uh, save it for that party or something right yeah I mean they clearly seem to unless like at least maybe this is how i justify some of their moves they seem to relish the chase yeah like they've got her trapped in the car and Stu disappears under the car like 
or whoever it was at that point. Yeah. There was no reason to create such suspense in some of their kills. Sure. Yeah. I, I guess that's the whole like cat and mouse thing you were talking about where it kind of elevates each uh, action sequence. Right. And I think part of it, you could defend it by them being so obsessed with horror movies and trying to make this like a horror movie. So who was obsessed with the horror films? Was it Billy or Steelway or both of them? Or what do you think? I think they both were. Okay. Um, the whole thing seemed to be more masterminded by Billy. But Stu yeah. does say at the end, watch a few movies, take a few notes. Yeah. It was fun. <laughs> <laughs> Another great quote. I like. I want to imitate him, but I will fail so miserably. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. His, his performance is great. One thing I was thinking about the principal kill, and yeah, you're right, it's just more schlocky and doesn't really matter that much to the plot. Yeah. They still managed to make it suspenseful. Yeah, right. And at yep. that point, too, on your first viewing, anybody is a suspect. And right before mm-hmm. that happens, he just expels these two kids and waves a pair of scissors in front of them and says he ought to gut them. Oh, yeah. So right. part of that scene is a little like, well, what's going on here? Is it the principal? Oh, so yeah, I think I there are some it. things that are a big deal on the first watch that mm. for people like us watching this the fifth or sixth time yeah. fall flat. Right. So you're kind of laser focused on, you know, who the killer is. So yeah, you kind of right. miss that. That's, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. So some nice gems in there. Well, uh, one to five, uh, stomachs and hands. How, how much would you give this one? I still give it five stomachs and hands. It's got minor flaws, but this is just the epitome of a slasher movie to me yeah yeah like, and, and i still think it's kind of scary yeah i think you're right yeah that first it's scene a, especially did i mention scene, i like the first scene <laughs> did we talk about the first scene <laughs> go <right> back <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh man yeah I, i'm with you like this is a hard hard one to knock and uh yeah the self-awareness is like makes it such a breath of fresh air and i love how it, like trolls the genre well so like kind of using those tropes uh it's just such a clever smart movie and the characters are so well done, and uh, each like kill is like pretty fun. Uh, but yeah, I, I'd also give it a five. That's that's really good. Cool. Cool. Well, anything else on this one? Um, I think that's about all I got. The only other scene I like wanted to talk about. <laughs> there's not much to talk about, but there's like the typical cop movie trope where two detectives are taking drags from their <laughs> cigarette and like shooting the yeah. shit about the case yeah and dewey's licking ice cream Dewey, yeah and dewey's cigarette is an ice cream cone instead <laughs> yeah i love his character so yeah good. he's great yeah yeah this, like, and when they cop. get a call at when she's staying at tatum's house and dewey's her older brother after Ghostface is no longer on the phone dewey yeah. answers the phone and tries to make his voice extra manly <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah they had a lot of fun with this character hey yeah. uh watching this and, and you've seen the movie scary movie right uh yeah but forever ago oh uh, like watching this like with each scene i just kept remembering like what happens in scary movie and I, it's kind of like adds like an extra comedic layer to this nice uh but you, you didn't you, you didn't it didn't have a lot of flashbacks for you on that no film. that movie's kind of gone from my brain oh uh, okay okay that, that, that's a fun one yeah all right well anything else or should we wrap it up I think maybe it's time to wrap it up. All right. Well, that's it for our discussion on Scream. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcast. That'll help other people find our show, and we always appreciate it. If you want to join the discussion, you can find our social links on horrormovieclub.com or shoot us an email at podcast at horrormovieclub.com. 
We'll be announcing next week's movie on Facebook and Twitter in case you want to watch it before. We also have a Discord server where we're chatting up with some other listeners and other horror fans, so you can find that link on our website. Uh, we also have a Patreon page. Uh, you can find that at patreon.com slash horrormovieclub. Our logo is by AVMA Pop Art, so check her out on Etsy.com. And until next time, if you see a family member or loved one getting stabbed in front of you, um, maybe give their cuts a few licks before assuming the worst. You might be in <laughs> for a sweet surprise. Oh, that's actually a stomach. Uh, yeah. <laughs> stomach on the floor. Shit.